you can go ahead and have a seat. Um, I want to begin by, by just saying this, because uh, I think it's really funny. Uh, I woke up this morning and uh, realized just how much stuff in our house operates on the internet. Um, if you are like me, you found out it's like the blessing and the curse of technology, right? Uh, when the internet in town, and it was out in town, uh, is, is, going, is gone, you know, you find that out. And so... Uh, anyway, just I thought that was real interesting. Uh, this morning, I want to explain. I've got a little bit of a change in the sermon order um, because I told you we're in this series, which normally, you guys know, normally I don't preach topically. Normally, I, we just preach exp- expositionally through books of the Bible. Um, but I'm in a topical series right now for the next few weeks, starting last week, on stewardship. And, um, and I kind of gave you a preview of what the next few weeks were going to look like. And this week was going to be on more on faithfulness. And next week was going to be on giving. And the following week uh, was going to be on, on idolatry of materialism. And then we were going to roll into our, to our next book of the Bible. Um, but I've, I've flipped the two middle sermons. And so this morning, you get the one on giving. Now, I didn't do that on purpose. I mean, I did it on purpose, but I didn't do it for the reason of I thought y'all thought next week was on giving, so you might skip. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, 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 because of where we're at with current, current circumstances in our church and where everything's at, I thought it best to rearrange things and, and actually had some, um, some out, outside help other than me who was, was helping me see that that might be a good thing to do. So, um, here's, here's a question that I want to ask. Now, don't answer out loud or this is going to get real weird real fast, Okay. Uh, but what if I told you that there was a subject that Jesus talked about more than heaven or hell? What, what in your mind would you assume, because there is a subject that he talked about more than heaven or hell, what in your mind would you assume that that subject would be? And then would you, like me, assume that if Jesus spent more time on that subject than he spent on even heaven or hell, that that must be a very important subject or a very important topic that he was teaching about or talking about. Hopefully you would say, yes, if Jesus talked about it more than those two things, then yes, this is an important thing we should talk about. Well, it's true, there is a topic that Jesus talked about more than heaven or hell, and it's the topic of money. He talked more about money than either of those topics. So how should we feel about that? Well, I think there's two ways that we can approach that. See, and we have a choice to make, and it can be a bit of a dangerous choice for us to make. Um, first, what we can do is we can, we can ignore it. We can just ignore it and be like, okay, there's probably nothing behind that. I'm just going to move on with my life. Well, that's a very dangerous choice to make, right? The second way we can approach that is we can find out, we can approach it to find out as much as we can about how Jesus wants his followers to live towards money and, and then obey what we find there, I appreciate what Dana just prayed, not that we would just see uh, what's in the word, but that we would do it, that we would be doers of the word, not just hearers, that we would obey. So that's the choice we've got, is we look at, look at, see what God has in the Bible that tells us about these things, and then we are, just like with everything else that we read in the Bible, we are, uh, we are approached with this decision. Do we uh, ignore it and just keep on keeping on like we do, or do we obey and do the things that Jesus prescribes or says that followers of his will do. Now, as a church, I think it's vital that we have a proper understanding of what God says about our giving. 
A lot of people will say this, and you may have heard someone say this, God doesn't need your money. They are absolutely correct. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. Okay? He has no needs. All right? But as my friend Mike Whittemore says, God doesn't need your money, but the church does. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, what he means by that is God has ordained that the way his church is provided for is by his people giving to the work and the ministry of the local church. That's how God set it up. Now, a little later in the sermon, we're going to talk more specifically about where our church is at financially and, and kind of some things that have transpired over the last week. And so I'll kind of give you a little heads up that uh, don't sleep during that part, all right? Today, we're going to take a look. I'm joking. I don't want you to sleep during any of it, okay, if you hadn't figured that out yet. Uh, and I do know. Anyway, today we're going to take a look at, uh, at what God tells us in the Bible about what our giving should look like. And my goal here this morning is, is not to guilt anyone into anything. I'll probably say that again before we're done. Uh, my goal is to help our hearts see and grasp the good opportunities that God has given us to make much of him and to help you see what the importance of your personal obedience is in this, I understand, very sensitive area. So before we begin, would you take a moment and pray with me for our hearts as we dive into God's word? And by the way, we are, I don't have one single focal passage. We are going to be all over the place in the word. So um, I would encourage you to write down the scriptures as they're coming so that you can go and take a look at them later. And if you miss them and you want copies of my notes. I'd be happy to provide those to anybody who wants them, but let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this day. God, I thank you that when you woke me up this morning and my feet hit the floor, there was breath in my lungs. And God, I am more aware even today than yesterday of how much of a blessing that is, because I know there's people who don't have that. Uh, God, I um, I just ask that you be glorified this morning. Jesus, be big. That's all I want. Um, My goal is to be faithful to you, and I just pray I'm faithful. And I pray that if there's anything that's just of me, that you would get that out of the way, and that you would speak clearly to your people, that I I would decrease, truly, and you would increase, Jesus. Because you know best. You know best. I don't. And I pray you just make that clear to everyone within the sound of my voice or watching online. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Some of you are old enough to remember a band called Van Halen. And I've told this story before. So if, if you've heard this story before, I've, I've told it before. Uh, so if you're, some of you are old enough to remember a band called Van Halen. They had a very interesting performance contract. And, and, and in particular, clause uh, article number 126 in their performance contract was really interesting. And that, that particular article in their contract, Article 126, stipulated that a bowl of M&Ms be provided backstage, but every single brown M&M was to be removed. And if the band arrived and they found any brown M&Ms in that bowl, they were free to cancel the contract and still receive their full payment. Now, the, boy, weren't, the 70s and 80s were great, weren't they? Anyway, um, now, why, why this? This wasn't because they hated brown M&M's. As you all know, brown M&M's taste just like all the other M&M's, right? This wasn't because they hated brown M&M's. It was a safety thing. See, they were the first big band to play third-level markets, and they used nine tractor trailers worth of equipment. That's a ton of equipment. 
mistakes were common and they were potentially life-threatening, especially if the venue didn't have a stage that could support all of that weight. So they'd made sure that the promoter read the whole contract, hence Article 126 they put down there. To quote their lead singer, and I don't know, I I think it was David Lee Roth actually at the time, but anyway, some of you know they had singer issues. Um, To quote their lead singer, he said, when I would walk backstage, if I saw a brown M&M in that bowl, well, line check the entire production, guaranteed you'd run into a problem. It seems silly at first, right? But a detail like that turns out to be incredibly important. Now, if we were to take that principle that he's putting at work there, and he doesn't realize this is what he's doing, he obviously is, I think, a pagan. I don't think he, he, you know, he doesn't realize this. But if we were to take that story and put it in a biblical framework, it would sound a little bit like Matthew twenty-five, twenty-three from the parable of the talents that we talked about last week. If you remember, the, the master comes back and the servant that he had invested two talents in, this, is, this happens here in verse 23 of Matthew chapter 25. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much and enter into the joy of your master. See, they knew that if, if, they, if these guys, these promoters were, had read the whole contract and they were faithful to make those M&Ms exactly the way they wanted them, even down to that, then they wouldn't have to worry about whether or not the stage was going to collapse and kill them during their performance. They wouldn't have to worry about whether they had the right wattages and stuff. Some of you don't know this, but I used to be a concert promoter in a previous season of my life. And one of the big things you got to worry about is safety and electrical and all that stuff. So I get this, and I've seen contracts and writers and things, and so I understand that. But it brings us, the point of the story is it brings us to our topic this morning of giving. How can we be good stewards with the little or the much that we've been given? And what is our giving supposed to look like? This morning, as I said, we're going to jump around quite a bit in Scripture. Now, my goal today is that you would see and respond obediently to the will of God. As I said earlier, not trying to guilt anyone into anything. And as I said last week, there's quite a bit of Christian liberty in some areas of stewardship of our time, talent, and treasure. However, there are also some very clear directions for how we are to live as followers of Christ in relation to our finances. And those, um, look, we find some things in the Bible that are pretty clear, and they're not suggestions that God makes. This is important to point out. Look, there is Christian freedom in some areas, for sure. But I have a deep burden that so many times we take the commands of God, we read through here, we take the commands of God and we treat them like they're life suggestions, like this is really the preferred way to live, but if I don't feel like it or that doesn't feel good to me, then I can still live this other way over here and be just fine. And we treat it like that. See, what we don't want is I don't want the outcome of today is for you to decide to give begrudgingly. You know, you know, as uh, back in the day when churches used to pass the buckets, right? They passed the plates, not the buckets, right? They're, I don't know any church passing buckets, right? Okay, but but when, when they pass the plates or when somebody walks up, you know, we have our offering plate out there. People can just give as they're coming in or going out. Um, what the person who's handing out, you know, if we were handing out, doesn't want to see is someone who's giving with a bunch of scowls. Like, as I'm out here and I'm greeting people, uh, and, you know, people come by and they put their offering in the plate, and that's fine. I don't really pay a ton of attention to it. Uh, but if I was, what you wouldn't want to see is a bunch of people scowling, like, oh, gosh, got to give this thing. Well, 
Or like the guy at church that you might have known growing up who gives but doesn't want to, or the guy who hates the fact that he has to give, but he's afraid that if he doesn't give, he won't get that new job, or he sort of gives out of a desire to get something else, like he's paying a membership fee or, or, or membership dues. These are not what it means to give to the Lord's church. First of all, you're not giving to people, you're giving to God. So in the remainder of our time this morning, what we're going to look at is what the Bible would have us understand about what giving is, what we should give, and how we should give, okay? And I may not hit on your favorite pet topic this morning, because here's what I discovered as I had knots in my stomach preparing the message this morning, uh, not this morning, but or this week, the message for this morning. Uh, what I discovered is that there's no possible way that I can say everything that there is to say about money and giving in the amount of time that you will actually still be paying attention. Okay, I can't do it all in one sermon. Now, that brings us to point number one. Why should Christians give? Why should Christians give? Like, why bother? Why do, why do we even do that? Well, number one, our giving shows how great God is. Our giving shows how great God is. It shows the goodness of God. It shows the greatness of God. Because giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. Some people mistakenly think that worship is only what we do when we sing, right? And did you see Dana rocking the bass this morning? It was great. Anyway. Okay, so that's, that one's free, Dana. Uh, anyway, uh, so, so a lot of people think that worship is just what we do while we're singing, that that's worship. And for sure... It is worship when we're singing, but that's not all that is worship. It's worship when we hear the word of the Lord proclaimed as you are when you sit during a sermon. It's worship when we serve, and it's most certainly an act of worship when we give. I would encourage you to be mindful of the greatness and worth of God when you write that check or when you put it in the plate or when you hit the send button in your online giving. It's worship. It's the attitude, the heart of worship that we have when we set aside our amount in our monthly budget. Giving is an act of worship because giving shows how great God is. It proves, giving proves what God is worth to us, that he's worth it, that he's worth us giving obediently, that he's worth us giving sacrificially and these other things we're going to talk about. But it shows that we value him. It shows that we value not just the gift that we've been given, but that we actually value the giver of that gift and that we trust him. It shows that we trust him. Matthew 13, 14 through 16 says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, it's about giving up what is valuable for what is more valuable or most valuable. We see this in the life of Moses in the Old Testament, and it's it's mentioned about him actually in the New Testament in Hebrews 11.26. It says in reference to him, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Moses, if you don't know his story, was adopted into the palace in Egypt by Pharaoh. 
and he could have uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and and he could have ruled and enjoyed all of the treasures of Egypt, and instead he went and led the Hebrews, led the Jews, the Israelites, because he saw what was valuable, and he chose what was more valuable. So, giving is an act of worship. It, it, we in giving proclaim the goodness of God. Secondly. God generously gives to us. Why should we give? Because God generously gives to us. We can freely and willingly toss away worldly possessions because God has given us something much more valuable. And he has given it to us generously. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. It's the truth of the gospel. Jesus gave his very life for you. He didn't have to. He lived a perfect life with no sin. He was 100% man, 100% God, and yet he gave that life willingly on a cross in your place because of your sin. And he didn't hold it back from you. He gave it generously. He gave it willingly. And he still gives generously. And we're to imitate him in giving with nothing held back. Is he worth it? Yes, this God is worth it. Are we willing is the question. Each one of us has to decide. But he gives gives generously. The gospel is is not just a story. And it's not just what we need to believe to be saved the gospel is the gospel must be the foundation of why we do and what we do and how we do Jesus gave generously when he didn't have to so we give because God gives generously to us so those are a couple of reasons for why Christians should give I understand there's more um, and, and I had some more and I cut them out because of time okay But those are a couple of reasons why Christians should give. Number two, what should Christians give? What should Christians give? Number one, everything. Or letter A if you're outlining. Everything. As we learned last week, everything we have is owned by God. It all belongs to God anyway. And he's given to us by God to steward or to manage well for his purposes. We're to manage it for the purposes of the manager. Or excuse me, of the, the master. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, brothers, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So in all things, We are proclaiming God's goodness and bringing him glory, or we're to be proclaiming his goodness in all things and bringing him glory. We do this in many ways. Excuse me. We do this in many ways. But money is just one piece of the larger puzzle of how we proclaim God's goodness. However... Money is also a sign, often, of the status of our hearts. Sorry about that. 
money is often a sign of the status of our hearts. So what should we give? Everything, meaning we hold nothing back from the Lord because he's held not even his son back from us. Number two, tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Some of you were just waiting for me to get to this point, right? Here's where some of you want me to come in hard and fast with rules. Some of you want me to pastor or lay it on them hard and fast with the rules that I see. I want those rules. I believe we do see some of those in the Old Testament as related to the law of Moses and God's covenant with Israel. We're not going to set those aside. You can't set them aside. We're not going to set them aside. We're going to look at them in the light of Jesus and try to understand where we should land today. You may land in a different place than me. And I think well-meaning Christians of good conscience have disagreed on the issue of tithing. And that's okay. Okay? That's okay, based on our understanding of Scripture. So we're going to look at Old Testament giving. We're going to look at New Testament giving. We're going to look at all of that in the light of Christ. Okay? Because that's how we're supposed to look at the Bible, right? It's all about Jesus. So we can't ignore those things. All right. So first, Old Testament giving. Good place to start when we're talking about this is Old Testament concept of the tithe, which was a bit like an income tax. Okay. I know that sounds like right now, especially when we talk about taxes, a very dirty word for most of us. But think of it a bit like an income tax. A tithe just means a tenth part was to be holy or set apart to the Lord. So a tenth, okay, 10%. All right. A lot of us give 10%. We saw that tithe principle, a lot of us still do that. We still hold to that in our personal finances, okay? Uh, so a good, uh, excuse me. So a tenth was to be set apart as holy or to the Lord. Now, there were three different tithes collected in Israel. I don't know if you knew that or not, but there were three different tithes collected in Israel. First, Leviticus, and I'm not going to read some of these passages. I'm going to say where they are. And if you want to go back, um, just for the sake of time, you want to go back and study those on your own, I encourage you to do it, okay? But first in Leviticus 27, 30 through 33, tells us that a tithe of all the produce and flocks was set aside to the Lord. So 10% of all the produce, all the flocks set aside to the Lord. This tithe was given to the Levites, enabling them to serve in the tabernacle full time since they didn't receive any inheritance of land. They in turn were to tithe to support the priests. So Israel tithed off of these to support the Levites, and the Levites were to tithe off of that to support the priests who served, who served in the ministry there. That's Numbers 18, 8 through 32, if you want to go take a look at that. I know some of you are real depressed that I'm not reading from Leviticus and Numbers this morning out loud. Um, secondly, in Deuteronomy we see that a tenth of one's produce and flocks was to be eaten at the central sanctuary. Okay, we find that in Deuteronomy 12 and 14. Interesting. God was commanding his people to save up for a big party once each year in his honor. Remember, part of bringing God glory is enjoying his gifts in ways that honor him. We, we talked about that last week. For, that's 1 Timothy 4.4 4 for reference from last week. So I know if you weren't here last week, um, I try to preach messages that like, don't build on one. You don't have to have seen, heard last week's in order to understand this week's. Um, but I think it will help you 
to gain a fuller picture and understanding of how God wants us to be as stewards if you do go back and listen to last week's message online or, or watch the video if you want. God loves to bless his people. This was save up to, to set aside a tenth for this party in God's honor. Finally, we see that every third year, so every third year, a tithe was to go into the local storehouse to feed the poor. So every third year, they were put a t- take a tithe and put it in the local storehouse to feed the poor. That's Deuteronomy 14 and, and in Deuteronomy 26. Okay? Now, in addition to these three tithes, so on top of these three tithes, Israel also had the temple tax, Exodus 30, voluntary offerings from Deuteronomy 12, gleaning of the fields that was to be left for the poor, Leviticus 19, and additional taxes that were levied during the monarchy. So the Old Testament system of giving was much more complex than just 10%, okay? So it was much more complex than that. It was not, even though that's where we get the principle of a tithe, is from the Old Testament, it was much more complex than just a simple, okay, I got paid this much, here's my 10%. It was much more complex than that. In fact, um, I heard someone, and I don't, have, I don't have background for this, okay, but I heard someone say that if you added all that up and made it, you know, the yearly thing or whatever, it ended up being more like 25% or something like that, okay? Um, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't like just taking a flat 10% like we think about it. Now, with that said, okay, if you're new to giving, 10% is a great place to start, the tithe is a great place to start, okay? Now, after all, Abraham did give 10% to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, and Jacob promised 10% to God hundreds of years before the law was even given. So this principle of a tithe was around even before the law was given, okay? So we see that, and that, that's Old Testament giving there. Now let's talk about New Testament giving. Now so, some, some people make the mistake of saying, well, that's in the Old Testament, and so we don't need to pay attention to, to that because we're New Testament Christians. Not so fast, buddy. Not so fast. You can't set that completely aside. Now, we need to see how Jesus fulfills the law, but it's still vastly important that we understand that. Now, moving on to the New Testament practice of giving. It's interesting. Nowhere in the New Testament... Are Christians commanded to give 10%? You can look all you want in the New Testament. You're not going to find a place where Christians are commanded to give 10%. Instead, what we see in 1 Corinthians... Now, there's other verses on on money and giving, okay? But what we see in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, is a simple admonition to give in keeping with our income, which we'll come to later in the message here, actually. But... And giving in keeping with our income. Now, if I'm not a math whiz, and I'm certainly no accountant, okay? But if you're giving a percentage, let's say 10%, that's going to keep with your income because if your income goes up, the amount you're giving goes up because it's still 10%, right? Okay? So I think that's okay. I think that's an okay thing, and I think that 10% is a great starting place. But the admonition in 1 Corinthians 16, 2 is to give in keeping with your income. So what happened to the 10% at that point? Well, the tithe, the tithe, 
The animal sacrifices, the schedule of festivals, and priestly offices were all parts of God's regulations in the Old Testament of how his people were to worship him. And once Jesus came along, he announced in the Sermon on the Mount that I preached on a few months back, if you remember, but he announced in the Sermon on the Mount that he fulfills the entire Old Testament. That's Matthew 5, 17, if you need to go get a refresher. But he fulfills the, whole, the entire Old Testament. So all of the worship ordinances in the Old Testament were pointing to Jesus, and that's what much of the book of Hebrews is about. Now, once Jesus comes along, these things no longer were needed because one greater than the temple is here. So you didn't need the temple tax anymore because there's one greater than the temple who was here. That's why Jesus declared the temple tax inapplicable to his followers in Matthew 17, uh, verses 25 through 26. We are sons of the king, Jesus says, and kings don't tax their own sons. So, Old Testament giving, New Testament giving, pastor, what do I do? Well, to summarize all this, are you in sin if you don't give 10% of your income to the church? Right? That's the question. Like, am I sinning if I don't give 10% of my income to the church? Not necessarily. Now notice, I didn't say no. For some of you, given how God has constructed your life, for some of you, okay? Now, if you think there's no way I'm talking to you, I might not be, okay? But for some of you, I want to put this before you, and it's a big statement. I understand it's a big statement. But for some of you, because of how God has constructed your life, you may be in sin if you're not giving 50% of your income away. For some, our job is not to meet a particular percentage, but to give whatever we're able. And I have thought for the last several years as the tithe, as more like a minimum, okay, a starting place, but not where we should stay. And so just for full disclosure, like our family has made a practice since Bethany and I got married of of tithing 10% off the top. Okay, that's just been our personal practice. Okay, so when I say that that's a good place to start, I don't want you to think that I'm telling you something that I'm not doing myself, okay? In doing this, though, there are two additional principles in Scripture that we'll find helpful. Because some of you, if you just go with what I just said, you're going to be like, oh, well, I only think I'm able to give $5, But that may not actually be true. So I want to give you some additional principles to help you with that. And that first principle is what we call sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Pastor, we don't give sacrifices. I understand that. We don't. We're not killing goats up here, okay? But when we study what the Bible has to say about following Jesus, we can see that the Christian life is marked by self-denial. It's marked by self-denial. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, I I think of the widow that Jesus observed doing her giving when when I think of sacrificial giving. You heard of the widow's mite? 
Mark 20, excuse me, Mark 12, 41 through 44. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came in and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. I believe that we should be serving Jesus in such a way that we're making sacrifices. I think we should be serving and living and giving in such a way that we're making sacrifices. Now, there's two ways you can view this wrongly. Is wrongly, is that even a word? But there's two ways you can, (laughs) wrongly, bigly, hugely. Um, There's two ways, though, that you can view this wrongly, okay? First is you could wrongly believe that if your budget isn't so tight it squeaks, then you're not giving enough away. That's not true. A second wrong view is that somehow comfort in Christianity cannot coexist. This doesn't mean that you can't enjoy the financial blessings a little bit. But it does mean that our comfort cannot be found in our material means. Our comfort should be found in Christ, period. Okay? So if somebody's got a nicer car than you do, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Okay? Uh, If someone makes more money than you do, again, not necessarily a bad thing. They can, like our spirituality, our Christian maturity is, sure, connected, like, like they're not, unconnected with our with our giving is not unconnected with our spiritual life it is connected but how someone is doing financially is not in any way a sign of whether or not they are more or less righteous okay don't fall into the same trap as the prosperity gospel preachers don't fall into the same trap of job's friends who were messed up they thought that the bad stuff was happened to job was because he was sinning I want to give you a story of sacrificial giving. There's a guy, Dr. Truitt, who was, who was a guy from Texas, was invited to a church that has, was raising, they were trying to raise, this is several years ago, they were trying to raise $6,500 to dedicate a church building. If only church buildings still cost $6,500. All right? But they were trying to raise $6,500 to dedicate a church building. So after 3500 had been promised, the offerings ceased. Then a plainly dressed woman arose and spoke to her husband who was taking the names. Charlie, I wonder if you would be willing to give our little cottage just out of debt. We were offered 3500 for it yesterday. Would you be willing to give our little house for Christ that his house may be free? The fine fellow responded in the same high spirit. Jenny, dear, I was thinking of the same thing. Then looking up at Truett with his face covered in tears, he said, we will give the $3,500. Then there followed a scene begging, beggaring all description. Men and women sobbed aloud, and almost in a moment, the $3,500 was provided. Then without invitation, there came down the aisle men and women saying, Sir, where is the Savior, and how can we find him? All right? When people far from God see people following God, trusting God, being obedient to what God has commanded, and holding nothing back, it has an evangelistic effect. 
We see this in the early church. They held nothing back and people came to know Jesus. When when God's people follow God, God's way, there is an evangelistic effect. Because people see that, oh my goodness, these people just, just talk about the gospel. They don't just talk about sacrifice. They don't just talk about giving and loving and serving and unity. They're actually doing it. And then they come and say, where is the Savior? Show him to me. It has an evangelistic effect. Friends, this idea of sacrificial giving is where a lot of us need to sit for a few minutes. We need to hold up and just wait and let it kind of marinate in it a little bit. Sacrificial giving is just like Jesus. It hurts. So when did you give and, and it hurt a little? Was there a time where you gave and maybe it hurt a lot? 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 3 says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. These folks were extreme poverty. Their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity. That sounds like sacrificial giving to me, and that makes my excuses for not giving sound pretty lame. Especially when, what we talked about last week, that everybody in this room, if we were to go on the, there's a website, if the internet's up, there's a website you could go to when you get home, and it's uh, world's wealthiest, and you can type in your annual income and find out in what percentage of the wealth of the world you are at. And almost everybody in here is in the top 10%. Probably everybody's in the top, a lot are probably in the top 5%, honestly. In the world. This brings us to generous giving. Because I think, when we look at the Old Testament giving, New Testament giving, tithes and offerings, and sacrificial giving, we also need to look at generous giving. Second Corinthians 9, 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. We are not called to be stingy people, but a cheerful and generous people. Uh, when, I, uh, when I am in a situation where I get the opportunity to uh, bless someone with a gift, I like to go over and above. That's just kind of, I think that's just my personality, okay? Uh, Christmases get crazy at our house because I want to just give to people, right? I want to give people stuff. We're not called to be stingy people, but cheerful and generous people. We should give and want to give more. This is not a great point for bean counters. When we encounter a need, we should give generously. Now, I want to talk for a minute about where or to what Christians are to give. The Bible has a lot to say here as well. So where should Christians give? Number one, obligations. Your first obligation is to your family. Your first obligation as far as financially is to your family. You've got to provide for your family. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Ouch. So first, 
You got to provide for your family. I've heard this verse a lot. Like, um, I remember I was a youth pastor at a church. Uh, I won't say where. Um, and uh, the, the median income in the community where we lived uh, was $77,000. I looked it up. Median household income was $77,000. I was being paid $28,000 to be full-time, and I had to be there all the time in the office and everything. And that was the, that was the, the, the salary. So it was way, much less than half of the median income in that community. And eventually it got to the point where we just could not afford to live there anymore because I couldn't take care of my family. I couldn't provide for my family. And we, uh, and we had to leave. And this was the counsel I got from a godly brother who worked for our state denomination. He said, look, I've had to make that decision before. I couldn't take care of my family and I had to go take care of my family. Okay. Uh, I didn't plan on using that illustration. I'm not announcing anything like that this morning, just so you know. I don't, nobody freak out or anything. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, that's just a story, an illustration to help you show that, that even, like, so often when, when someone's up here and they're preaching about something like money or something else, it's so easy for us to look at whoever's on, at the pulpit or on the stage and say, oh, they're talking about this. They've obviously got this all figured out. I want to tell you, look. I have, to, I have to deal with the same things you guys have to deal with, and I have had to, and thankfully the Lord has, uh, has been extremely faithful in that. Second, so first, you've got to take care of your family, okay? You've got to take care of your family. Second, and, and, and what stings about that is if you don't, you've denied the faith and are worse than an unbeliever. So if I don't take care of my family, it like, says I'm denying the faith. That's... You get more extreme than that right there. That's why I have a lot of Bible in here, uh, because it speaks better words than me. Second, though, the second obligation for, this is for a Christian, the second obligation after your family that you should give to is the local church. We give to support the mission of the local church, to provide for the church needs. This includes budgeted ministry expenses, uh, which also include providing for paying the pastor or pastors. Now, at this point, I want to give you a little bit of a bird's eye view of our finances as a church, um, because I, I realized this week that not a lot of you know exactly what's going on week to week exactly in the finances of the church. Now, I'm not going to get deep in the weeds, but this is in the interest of transparency, because I want to be clear with where we're at so that we all know. Um, as of last week, as of last Sunday, our checking account was very very low. We had about $97 in our church checking account, and we have about $100 in our church savings account. So I just want you to know that I don't have any substantial savings. Now, this next part is incredibly awkward for me, and I want you to know that. I don't like it. It's incredibly awkward for me to talk about this, but you need to hear it Last week was payday for me, Sunday. I get paid at the beginning of the month, and sometimes based on when the first of the month happens, sometimes that's the last Sunday of the month or the first, just depending on when that happens. So I get paid at the, uh, in a monthly check at the beginning of the month. So last week was payday, and the church was only able to give me, it was actually less than half of my monthly paycheck um, for, for the month, which caused some concern in our house a little bit, I'll just tell you, just to be quite frank. 
Um, now, we trust the Lord. We knew that God would provide and God would care for that. But I wanted you guys to know that, even though it, again, is extremely awkward. Um, because this is obviously a big problem for the church to deal with. It goes much deeper than whether or not the pastor got paid. Guys, it's much deeper than whether or not I got my paycheck. I like getting a paycheck. Uh, right? Uh, you look at me, you're like, the guy likes to eat food. Okay? So I like that. Uh, to, sorry, not to make too light of it, but it goes much deeper than that. There's, it's important scripturally for sure to pay your pastor, but again, it goes, it goes, deeper, uh, it goes deeper than those symptoms. Galatians 6, verse 6 says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Now, our, our need as a church weekly to meet our budgeted expenses. Now, this is the budget that at the beginning of the year you guys voted and said, we approve this budget, it's a good budget, we will give to support this budget. So our budgeted expenses to meet our weekly budgeted, what's, what's budgeted weekly, is about $2,200 per week. Uh, if we meet that in giving, we can do everything we've budgeted for. If we exceed that, of course, we can do more and plan for the future, but that $2,200 figure is what we need. If we can't meet that figure week, week in and week out, then, you know, at least on an average, then we have to cut the budget. And that means less ministry expenses or less staff salary, okay? Now, let me share some wonderful news with you that helps out in the short term. So two things happened this week, um, really <laughs> kind of in concession with each other. Um, one is um, during the week, I don't know who, some member or members or group of people connected with our church uh, from the church body uh, came up with money and it was deposited and I got the rest of my paycheck this morning. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. So thankful. So happy about that. The second really cool thing, just to show you that, uh, that number one, I want, to, I want to tell you this to show you that God is working and that other people see God working the gospel at, at work in Dixon, specifically in our church. There's a there's a, another church, uh, Evangelical Free Church of Mount Morris. Um, I'm friends with their pastor. I'm known with some of their elders. We're, we're, I'm friendly with them. Um, Bruce and I had talked. He, he kind of heard about what the financial situation was like this past week. Um, and their elders met this week, and they sent us, they sent our church a check for that amount that we were short uh, for, to give to the church. Uh, I thought that was really incredible. And a, and a, and a really sweet letter. I was going to bring it and read it, but I'll... It's available if you want to read it, but a uh, really sweet letter um, uh, from them to the church. And so the Lord is moving. The Lord is working. Look, I'll just, I'll just be honest. Like, if we've got to cut the budget, it's not like a secret. The biggest thing on the budget is the pastor's salary because that's just, in a small church, that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter what church it is. And I, and I you know, I don't want to have to go work a second full-time job in addition to pastoring the church, which... No matter what your pay status, pastoring the church is a full-time job. Um, but I will if it comes to that. But that's going to take a lot of that's going to take a lot of time away from the church and uh, and what I can do to serve the church and still have plenty of time for my family. And that's part of why Scripture teaches us to give mostly to the place where we get our teaching from, the local church. Okay. Now, in the interest of transparency, what we're going to do, I've already talked with AJ about this, who's, who's our treasurer. Um, in the interest of transparency, each week we're going to provide some kind of reporting on the amount of 
that we had come in the week before and the amount that's gone out and, and the difference so that you know the difference between what we need weekly in that $2,200 and then what has actually come in, okay? And that'll be available. And anytime you have a question about that, you can ask me. You can ask AJ. I mean, you can connect any of the other deacons, and they, but really... Um, uh, you can come to me or AJ and we'll get you. And if, if you ask somebody and they don't have that information, we'll get that. Our books are open. Uh, nothing is, nothing is, it's not secret. It's not, it's not private or anything. We want to make sure that it's transparent and you are regularly informed of what's going on. So we should give to obligations. Number one, your family first. You got to support your family. Number two, uh, the ministry of the local church. And that is for other things. That's not just paying me, Okay. We're, we're starting a children's ministry. We want that thing to grow, right? We want to see, we want to minister to families. We want to, you know, eventually someday I'd love us to have a youth ministry, right? It would be great if the kids in our, that are in our nursery now go through our children's ministry and then make up our youth ministry, right? And then someday one of them can grow up and pastor the church and I can ride off into the sunset, all right? So we, we give to the ministry of the church. To, and, 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 and doing that, I will say this too, it shows that we are behind the ministry of the church, like the mission of the church, that we, we're going to gather together, we're going we're to grow deep together, and we're going to go wide together. And we're behind that mission, and we support that. Um, and we've got to go on because we're running out of time, and I want to get to the Lord's Supper because that's super important for us. So how should Christians give? How should Christians give? Oh, I'm sorry. Let me, one other thing. Obligations that we give to, second is opportunities. I think there are opportunities that we have to show generosity. Um, Those should never replace our local giving to our local church body, but be in addition to it. So these might be a mission opportunity or helping with a benevolence need or a ministry like the Hope Life Center. Okay, and and Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So how should Christians give? Guys, I'm going to buzz through these pretty quick. Um, I, want, I want to make sure, so you might want to write them down. They're going to pop up one at a time on the slide. But let's answer this question of how we should give. To do this, we're going to primarily look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16 two, And he says this, On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. So I'm going to give you five biblical admonitions we can take from this verse of how we should give. Our giving should be one, periodic. We should give regularly. Paul says on the first day of every week when the church is gathered. Sometimes I fear that Christians are more willing to follow IRS guidelines and give just before the end of the year than biblical guidelines giving regularly throughout the year. It it helps the church most, not if you save all your giving up for the end of the year, but if you do it on a regular basis. Do we give of our first fruits up front or do we give out of what's left over at the end of the year or at the end of our lives? I think in keeping with the principle of, again, again of that idea behind the principle of the tithe, I think we should be giving our first fruits. So when we make out our budgets, at the beginning we decide what we're going to give and it goes at the top, then rent, then groceries, then you know whatever. That's how it works at my house. Secondly, our giving should be personal. We're each responsible to give. Paul says, each of you. We can't assume that just because the church is giving, we're giving. We can't assume that just because uh, someone else is giving, we're giving. 
or we don't have to give. It must be each of us, and it, must, uh, and it should be personal. Number three, it should be planned. We should give some deliberate thought to our giving. Paul says to put aside our money. And when we plan our budgets, we should plan our giving. Paul, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. There's premeditation there. Like you've decided in your heart how much to give ahead of time. This is a decision to pray and think about, not one you make on the spur of a moment on a Sunday morning. You know, a lot of us, sometimes people will show up on Sunday morning, oh, I got a 20, I'll throw it in the plate. You know what I mean? It's supposed to be more of a premeditated thing, again, as an act of worship. Number four, giving should be progressive. We should give according to our means. Paul says, give as he, as he may prosper, right? The more God prospers us, the more we give. And presumably, the more God prospers us, the higher portion we would give. So there's an example I've got here. It's numbers, but so forgive me, but here we go. So for example, let's say believer A has an income of 30000 a year. Believer B gets 60000 a year. Both of them give 10% of their income. With everything else being equal, believer B has believer B given progressively. Well, no, they haven't. Because after giving, believer A has 27000 left to live on, and believer B has 54000 or twice as much to live on. Believer B could actually give 20% and still have over $20,000 more to live on than believer A. Okay, I understand it's just an example, okay? But our, our giving should be progressive. Remember, generosity is not marked by how much we give, but by how much we keep. And number five, our giving should be plentiful. Our giving is to be generous, we're to be cheerful givers, to give, some would say, uh, to give hilariously, to just enjoy our giving. Paul concludes his instruction saying, so that there will be no collecting when I come. We should give plentifully as we reflect on what God has given us in Christ. Now, as we wrap this up and move towards our time of Lord's Supper in just a minute. There's a temptation for when we hear about the pastor preaching about giving, there's a temptation for us to bow up our back. The truth is, if everyone gave obediently, I believe this, if everyone gave obediently as God had blessed them, if everyone gave that way, then I believe all the needs of the church to carry out the mission of, that God has given this church body would be met. This isn't about me telling you to give more money, and this certainly isn't about me trying to guilt you into some emotional decision, because honestly, that's only good for about a week or two. Then the emotion wears off, and it's not born out of faith, it just fades away. This is not about the pastor telling you to give more money. This is about your relationship with God as a steward of what he has blessed you with, what he's given you. If that bothers you, I, I want to suggest that your problem isn't with me. Your problem is with God. I mean, I think I've laid out what God says in Scripture regarding our giving, not everything, okay? So now it's our turn to respond to his call and his commands. The question before us is, will we individually be obedient to him? Will we, will we at least consider these things? Will we give to proclaim his goodness? Will we give out of an act of worship? Will we give to fulfill the mission of the church? Will we give because he gave and held not back even his own life? Will we be cheerful givers? At this time, I just want to um, lead us in a word of prayer.
Would you stand up with me? I'm going to pray. And as I do, um, we're going we're gonna to move into our time of, of sharing in the Lord's Supper together. And uh, I'm actually going to ask if Alonzo will come and, and he's going to play some music for us and just give us something in the background. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer. And what I want you to consider is where has the word of the Lord hit you this morning? Do, do you need to do some heart work with him on how you feel about giving? Maybe, you do, maybe you're all given as much as you possibly can, maybe. You know, and, that, and that's between you and God, okay? And full disclosure, I don't see the amounts that anybody gives. I don't know how much money people give, and I don't want to see because I don't trust myself to not treat you different, okay? That's just, I, I know the sin in my own heart. And I don't want to see that. So I don't see what anybody gives. I don't, I don't know. It'd be one person giving everything. I wouldn't know it, okay? Um, but what I do want us to do is to pray about where we're at with the Lord. Because this, again, money is a great revealer of where our hearts are at. And as we head towards this time of the Lord's Supper, I want us to examine our hearts and see if there's anything we're holding back from the Lord this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, God, as we come before you, um, God, it's a hard message. It's a hard thing to hear. It's a hard thing to say in some ways. But God, I pray it's been clear. And more than that, or as much as that, I pray that the your message on our hearts be clear, that, that what we need to do, the calling you have for us individually, be clear. God, we want to see the gospel move forward in Dixon. I want to see, I want to see new people one to you, new people rescued from, from eternity apart from you. God, don't let this be an emotional decision made out of guilt but deeply convict us of the truth of your word and give us that gift of faith to to follow what you've called us to, Jesus. In the silence now, Lord, um, if there's any part of our hearts that we've held on to control of, Show us now. Show us our sin. And now if if anybody has been convicted of their sin, God, this is the time that they would confess it to you. To run to you, not run away from you. remember what you did on the cross, Jesus. That you died in our place for our sin and that you rose again showing that God accepted that sacrifice and that we can live in freedom. We don't have to be all bound up as the world is on generosity. We can give freely. 
and show your goodness and trust in you, Jesus. God, we could freely share the gospel without worry or, or, or concern for what other people think. We can do it because we know we have, we have right standing with you, Jesus, in the gospel because of your work on the cross, not because of anything good in us. There's nothing good in us but you, Jesus. Help us trust you more. And I pray what we do with our lives would be a sign, would be an outflowing of the fact that we trust you more, Jesus. from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as we move to come to the table. I'm going to read uh, from the scriptures what the Apostle Paul said about as we take the Lord's Supper and then um, Chris is going to come up and, and I'm going to be up here. And after I read the scriptures, we'll be up here and we'll each have uh, a plate or a basket with the elements. And then as you spend some time in prayer, spend some time reflecting on this and then come and get your elements and go back to your seat and then once everybody has done that we'll, uh, we'll partake in it together okay um, if you're uh, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ you may not be a member at this church, but if you maybe you're a member at a different church and you hear the same gospel preached there that you hear preached here, we just invite you to the table, okay? We don't, we don't expect that people have to be members uh, of our church to take it, but if, you're a, if you have trusted Jesus Christ for salvation and you have followed him again as a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, then we would invite you to the supper table. 1 Corinthians chapter... 11 verses 17 through 27 says but in the following instructions I do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for worse for in the first place when you come together as a church I hear that there are divisions among you and I believe it in part for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized but when you come together it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I'm going to ask Chris to come on up. This is a, this is a serious time. Um, 
if you don't understand what that means or if you say, you know, I don't know that I've really trusted in Christ, um, then I would just invite you to abstain. You're not going to hurt anything by abstaining, okay? Um, But again, if you're a Christian and you believe the gospel, we celebrate together. We celebrate and we remember the price that he paid. And so I'd invite you as Alonzo plays, we'll be here. Take a moment, pray and reflect. And as you're ready to come and, and get the elements, they're the, the, the wafer is in the top layer. The juice is in the bottom. We used these once before, so you guys will know, know about these. So just come as, as you're ready to uh, get your elements after a time of reflection. Scripture tells us that Jesus gave thanks. So let's give thanks for the body of our Lord. Jesus, we come and we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross, your body that was hung on the cross to pay the price for our sins. same way he took the cup after supper 
saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. God, we thank you. Jesus, don't ever let this become rote. Don't ever let this become don't ever let this become just normal for us. But a special time of remembering Tell us as often as we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. Help us remember. But help that not just be our sitting and remembering it here, but also to drive us out into the world to share that hope that we have, that salvation with others, Jesus. Now, Dixon, Dixon has got darkness and, and, and sin and hurt just like the rest of the world. And you've put us here on mission for you, Jesus. the musicians up. They're going to lead us in one final song of worship. And then we go. I want to tell you one thing before we sing. I mean, I know I've told you lots of things, but I want to tell you this. The Lord God, I fully believe, I have no doubt in my mind, called me to this church, to pastor this church. And just like I told you when I came and I've told you since then, if we have problems, we're going to work them out because I ain't going anywhere. All right? Um, I'm not, that, that's fine, thank you, but, but this is not about me. It's not even about you. It's about Jesus. And, and, and it's about us being a lighthouse in this town. And so... I just want you to know, because I know whenever, like I know I shared some awkward things this morning, I'm committed to serving you as your pastor. I'm committed to doing what I can to serve you. And I don't always do that very well. I get that. I understand that. I want to always do it better. But I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, and I know I I put it on Facebook a lot because I want people to know how much I love you and how much I love this church. And I just wanted to reiterate that to you this morning. So sing together.